Well, folks, it's Jerry Adams here again. August Maris Grat, Hasola Gumsa, Gobel Shibsha, Gulyar, Gumoy. I don't know if uh, Jeffrey Donaldson listened to this podcast, but when I started to write it as my alt, I opened it up with the sentence, Are you listening, Jeffrey? And that was before he went and uh, announced that he was going to withdraw from North-South power sharing arrangements as part of the Good Friday Agreement and gave notice that uh, he was going to withdraw from the assembly structures soon. So it's interesting just to try and figure out exactly where Jeffrey is going with all of this and precisely how strategic or thoughtful or worked out this uh, plan of his is. And unionist leaders, especially the DUP component, has been talking up loyalist resistance and unionist resistance to the Irish Protocol since before Boris Johnson dirty joed them, before he broke his commitments to them, before he negotiated and then signed up to the protocol that they're making such a fuss about. And of course, the protocol is a direct uh, result of Brexit, and Brexit is the child of the DUP. And, you know, the, the limited, thank God it was limited, a lot of street disturbances earlier this year, and the sacking of Arlene Foster and then the purging of Edmund Poots uh, are all evidence of whatever's going on within that level of the DUP. And the, the, the dramatic decline in the polling fortunes of the DUP, and of course that isn't a, an election poll, it's just an opinion poll, but you know, that that isn't good for the party or for its morale as it flounders about trying to assert its former role as the undisputed leader of unionism. And of course, all of this is linked to its stance on Brexit and to its efforts, which are, are so transparent, to blame everyone else for the debacle that they helped to create. Jeffrey was in Dublin two weeks ago meeting on Taoiseach Michal Martin. The protocol was at the top of his agenda. The arrogance and the rhetoric were loud. The politics were insipid. He was at it last week again when he met the Tanishta in Belfast. The protocol, the Irish Sea border, has to go, he told Leo Bradker. And if unionism doesn't get its way, then the protocol, he said, has the capacity to so undermine the political progress here that it drags us backwards. The Irish government needs to be very quickly recognising the damage that this protocol is doing to political stability in Northern Ireland. What a self-fulfilling prophecy. And to prove that he was right, then, of course, uh, Jeffrey decides to further damage political stability. 
And he speaks as unionism are want to do, as want to do, as if he represents the majority of citizens in the North. And he doesn't. The political instability he speaks of is rooted in the attitude and behaviour of the DUP and of his, I suppose, coming to terms. You know, and the first person I heard voicing this was my friend, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, saying that unionism was now a a minority. Jeffrey Campbell, that's who I'm thinking of. He said there were three minorities, and uh, that was interesting, even though you can't reduce any of this to fractions or, or mathematical equations. But uh, Jeffrey uh, hasn't acknowledged this yet. Uh, it's 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 plain wrong. It's totally inaccurate that the DUP doesn't record, doesn't represent the majority of people in the North. But in Jeffrey's words, the protocol is all Dublin's fault. In his view, it's damaging the Northern economy. The business and farming sector are opposed to it. It's undermining the Good Friday Agreement and so on and so on and so on. None of which is true. Brexit is the responsibility of those who advocated for it, campaigned for it and voted for it, especially in this part of Ireland, the DUP. The fact is that a majority of citizens in the North voted against Brexit. They want to remain within the European Union. They were worried about the likely economic dislocation that Brexit would bring. And they were right to be worried. Its impact on the British economy is clear for all to see. Ian King, who represents the, or presents the daily business programme on Sky Television, summarised this for many last week when he said, England has become a country where the pubs have no beer, farmers don't have anyone to pick their fruit, and even if they did, there aren't enough lorry drivers to get it to the shops. One of our main, well, maybe not our main, but one of the main medical suppliers has said, that it's postponing deliveries due to a Brexit-related shortage of lorry drivers. Logistics UK, which represents freight firms in the British Retail Consortium, the BRC, warned last month that the loss of 25,000 EU drivers is putting significant pressure on supply chains for retailers. The list of companies impacted is growing daily. Brewers, Coca-Cola, Nando's, McDonald's, BP and Iceland are just some of these. The Bank of England has also reported shortages of furniture, car parts and electrical goods, as well as cement and timber for the construction industry. In sharp contrast, the most recent trade figures for the island of Ireland reveal that the business sector is taking advantage of the unique position of the North, which is in both the European single market and the customs territory with Britain. Last month, the central Statistics Office in Dublin released trade figures showing what the London Guardian has described as evidence of the deeper economic unity on the island of Ireland. The value of goods moving north to south in the past six months dramatically 
sorry, by in the first six months of 2021, dramatically increased by 77% to 1.77 billion euros or 1.5 billion pounds, an increase in the same period last year when it was just under 1 billion. The value of goods travelling south to the north also jumped by 40% to 1.75 billion. This is an increase of almost half a billion over the same period last year. And the Guardian newspaper concluded it is, if it's sustained, Northern Ireland's deepening economic ties with the Republic and weaker ones with the mainland Britain will raise questions over the region's relationship with the rest of the UK. So where now stands loyalist unionism? Well, Jeffrey has set, set it out. And incidentally, let me apologise to Gregory Campbell. I inadvertently called him Jeffrey Campbell. It's, of course, my good friend Gregory Campbell who acknowledged that unionism was no longer a majority. So where, where does it all stand? Well, Jeffrey Donaldson uh, has set it out. The DUP leader set it out uh, yesterday. And against... The background of, you know, for example, Jamie Bryson and Jim Mallister and an assortment of others going about uh, the place having rallies against the uh, protocol. And the most recent of these was down in Enniskillen and one seasoned journalist from Fermanagh, Denzel McDaniels, writing about the Enniskillen protest said, it's clear that decisions to accommodate Brexit are taken at an international level. And if there's been a betrayal of unionism, lawyers should remember that it was their own basket case of a British government that let them down. That should be the real focus of their disillusion. Not the Irish government and certainly not the people of Fermanagh who don't want their return to the difficult times of borders pass. So we see how this latest... Uh, initiative, I can use that term, I think, by the DUP leader, uh, works out. But we also have to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the prize. No going back. No returning to the past. A future in which we can all live in harmony and equality with each other. Now, I believe that that can best be achieved in a united Ireland. Others have a, a different view. So let's talk about it. All right, Jeffrey, are you listening? One of our elements of hidden history, and there are lots of elements of hidden history, is the role that uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters played in the democratic struggle and the progressive struggles of the past. And you know, the best kind of history is that which which brings the stories of the past to life. And I had the good fortune to buy three little books that do exactly that. I bought them from an Ishog on the Falls Road beside Sebastopol Street. And these three books are by John Gray and they are Marianne McCracken. 1770 to 1866, feminist, revolutionary and reformer. 
the United Irishman and the Men of No Property, and the Sons, Colots of Belfast and Cave Hill and the United Irishmen. And together they give a wonderful insight into the lives and experiences, the working experience of those in the Belfast region who helped shape the United Irish society of the late 18th century. John Gray is a former librarian of Belfast Linen Hall Library. John has written and lectured on many aspects of Ulster's labour and radical history. And these little books are written under the auspices of Reclaim the Enlightenment, which I quote, is committed to recalling and celebrating that progressive era in Belfast's past. We are convinced that by doing so, we will lend inspiration to the present. Anyone born in Belfast or has lived here even for a short while is conscious of our Belfast hills. They cradle the city and give it a spectacular backdrop. Foremost among them is Cave Hill, Ben Madigan, to the north of the city. It's a place long associated with the United Irish Society. Many of us are familiar with the account of the occasion in May 1795 when the leaders of the UI of the United Irishmen went to McArts Fort. Wolf Tone recorded what happened there. Russell, Nielsen, Sims, McCracken and one or two more of us on the summit of McArts Fort took a solemn obligation never to desist until we had subverted the authority of England over our country and asserted her independence. Through John Gray's three pamphlets, the men and women of 1798 become more than just names on the pages of a book. The connections between Belfast, a town of around 20,000 people at that time, and its hinterland of Carn Money, Temple Patrick, Skaganil, Hightown and Roughford Rath, the first rebel assembly point in County Antrim that is only four miles from Cave Hill, they're all described. So too is the plight of the tenant farmers and the growth of the first trade unions linked to the handloom weavers, many of whom were from that locality. In July 1792, Belfast celebrated the third anniversary of the French Revolution. There was a grand possession with citizens in powers and people of the neighbourhood for several miles round with green ribbons and laurel leaves in their hats. Gray describes how one group was singled out. He writes, namely, 180 of the most respectful inhabitants of Carn Money and Temple Patrick. They bore a green flag with the following mottoes. Our Gallic brothers was born in July the 14th, 1789. Alas, we are still in Embro. And on the reverse side, superstitious galaxy, the cause of the Irish Bastille, let us unite to destroy it. Their banner was designed by James Hope, a weaver from Mollusk, to the west of Cape Hill and later destined to become one of the most celebrated artisan United Irish leader. The central role played by Presbyterians and by women is also recorded in the pages of these pamphlets, one of which reflects at length on the life of Marianne McCracken. For a long time she was known mostly as the sister of Henry Joy McCracken, but Greg reminds us of her contribution as a revolutionary, yes, as a feminist before the term was invented, and as a social reformer. He writes that Marianne 
did not approve of separate women's societies, though for entirely liberated reasons, argued for the admission of women into the main societies, as there can be no other reason for them being separate except to keep them in the dark. And certainly it is equally ungenerous and uncandid to make tools of them without conveying in them. These relatively short pamphlets, full of information and detail, are about a pivotal moment in our history. <coughs> and happy to recommend them to anyone interested in the people and places and events that have shaped Ireland. So Shinma Veg, Shinma Magedibyog Scale, and Shakhtan Shaw Arish. And we finish off, I couldn't find a song about Marianne, but we finish off with a song about her brother by Athan Rai. It's called Henry John. Kinyuri and Ta Lipship. Arnold's the man, I'm proud to be. For me, I'm from lands I've come. And though I've laboured by the sea, I've followed flag and drum. I've heard the martial trump of men, I've seen them fight and die. And well do I remember when I followed Henry Joy. I pulled my boat and from the sea, I had my sail away I hung my nets on a greenwood tree I scanned the moonlit bay The boys without hunger and cold still I kissed my wife goodbye And in the shade of a greenwood glade I followed Henry Joy I turned and I cried 